From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. David John Oates, the discoverer of reverse speech, is standing by. This is a brand new regular feature we introduced here on The Conspiracy Show a couple of months back, and David joins us once a month for a segment in the first hour to play a few reversals. Paula Harris will join us towards the bottom of the hour, and then for the rest of the program, Paula is a a veteran photojournalist and investigator of ET Contact, and she's worked with the late J. Allen Hynek and Colonel Philip Corso, and uh, she's coming to Toronto later this month to speak at the Alien Cosmic Expo, and we'll give you more details on that as well. Owen Wolfe is my technical producer, Ryan White is my live stream producer. However, there is no live stream on the YouTube channel tonight, but as always, this program will be uploaded to the YouTube channel within a few days. The YouTube channel, of course, Strange Planet. Uh, and visit strangeplanet.ca. That's my website, strangeplanet.ca. And everything is right there. You can find the podcasts there, information on this program, guest info, my live events and appearances schedule, my new Strange Planet shop, the full script dispensary, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. David John Oates is the founder and developer of Reverse Speech Technologies. He was the first person to ever document speech reversals in human speech back in 1983 and has worked extensively since then on research and development as well as maintaining a therapeutic and consulting practice. He's the author of several books on the subject, including Reverse Speech, A New Theory About Language, Reverse Speech, Voices from the Unconscious, and Beyond Backward Masking. He's the co-host of an exciting new podcast called Reverse Speech Radio. Hey, David, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, mate. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure. i got to tell you, your uh, podcast, it's unique. I mean, there's nothing like it anywhere. Uh, Reverse Speech Radio. And uh, let's first of all tell people how they can uh, listen. They can go to Reverse Speech Radio. .ca, or they can go right to Libsyn, the Libsyn platform, reversespeechradio.libsyn.com, and new episodes drop every Thursday. And, um, Thursday. yeah, what, uh, tell me something, uh, something uh, well, about an upcoming episode, if you could. Right. Well, we actually just add an episode on the Titanic survivors which was uh, very well received and uh, the episode we recorded this week is uh, what was called uh, Can You Handle the Truth where some brave uh, brave listener called in and I record them for 15 minutes and go and analyse the tape and then play them the results so uh, that's all always very interesting and um, also we give them what's called a meta walk which is a uh, basically a guide visualization journey through the unconscious uh, based on what their reversal said so um, um, uh, that's always received very very well we get a lot of good feedback from that so so that's our next episode which should air next week right right and for the Titanic uh, episode I think it was a two-parter and you have survivors right. and uh, where do you find the uh, the audio 
Uh, well, I actually didn't find the audio for that one, so I am not too sure where they found it. Um, a lot of audio can be found on YouTube. Um, they may have found it on YouTube. YouTube's got so much stuff there. I mean, yes. anything that I want, I can find on YouTube. So uh, I'm not sure where they got it from, but I wouldn't surprise me in the bit if they found it on YouTube. And again, just for those uh, people who may be joining us for the first time and uh, don't quite know about reverse speech, which you discovered, just explain huh? the, the theory behind it. Sure. Well, the theory I'm proposing is that language is bi-level, forward as well as backwards. And I claim that as the human brain is putting the sounds of speech together, it's putting those sounds together in such a way that we're saying two things at once, one forwards and one backwards. And so literally for my career, I'm running tapes in reverse. And when you run tapes backwards about once every, ooh, 15 or 20 seconds, you'll hear this very clear phrase. It's really quite obvious amongst the gibberish. And it's my claim that that is what we are thinking and feeling, both on a conscious as well as an unconscious level. So it's a whole new uh, linguistic theory about language. And... Um, uh, and I've been doing it for 35 years. I think I've compiled many examples to uh, uh, verify its validity. And the idea that it is the unconscious mind that's speaking and the unconscious mind cannot tell a lie. And so, therefore, we may be deceptive in our forward speech, but the backward speech, the reversal, will sort of betray the lie, Correct. Exactly correct. Yeah, yes. If we are lying in forwards, then in reverse, you may, not always, but you may quite, quite often get the truth. I say not always because sometimes you don't. Uh, there won't be any reversals there, but generally there will be. And, and sometimes the person is being truthful forward and backwards, and so that's what you call a congruency. Absolutely correct, yeah. Uh, they're more common than what you might think. Uh, you know, we tend to laugh and think, oh, everyone's lying, so we'll expose the lies of everyone. But uh, but uh, there's a, quite a high proportion of reversals that are what we call congruent. And actually, why don't I play a very obvious example of a congruent reversal? I don't know whether I've played this on your show before. Uh, maybe I have. Um, this is Angelina Jolie. And... Uh, uh, she's saying forward. She's very aware of her own emotions. I grew up kind of very, uh, very aware of my own emotions. About what she says, I'm very aware. I'm very aware. I'm very aware. So that's. Oh I'm my gosh. That might be, David, one of the most, the, the clearest reversals I've ever heard. You can't distinguish that from her forward speech. I know. It's remarkably clear. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a great example of what we call a congruent reversal. Now, here is an incongruent reversal uh, where the opposite is being told. And this is Donald Trump saying that Mexico is going to give him a deal on the wall. What's the difference? I want to get the wall started. I don't want to wait a year and a half until I make my deal with Mexico. So, And we probably will have a deal sooner than that. And by the way, Mexico has been... So nice. So he says, we'll probably have a deal sooner than that, but backwards, he says, they will not deal with us. You hear that one there, Richard? I do, yes, that's pretty clear. <laughs> Amazing. 
So that's an incongruent reversal, which has turned out to be remarkably true, because uh, Mexico are not dealing with Trump on the wall. At so. least not so far, yes. <laughs> now, we're, you know, we, we're just absolutely, you know, fascinated with this aspect of reverse speech, you know, catching someone in a lie, trying to climb inside the mind of a, a serial killer, etc., etc. But you use it for therapeutic reasons. Just spend a moment telling us about that. Oh, sure. Yes, I have a very active therapeutic practice. I've currently got about 20 clients on the go. Um, reverse speech in the therapeutic situation is just is just really uh, incredible. Uh, it will tell us many times what the problem is. Um, it can give us the source of the problem. Um, it can tell us how to fix the problem, um, which uh, which can be done, uh, or depends on what the solution is. So sometimes it's in metaphor, and sometimes it's in straightforward instructions. Uh, and I just get amazing results in uh, working with uh, clients uh, using using reverse speech. Um, here, let's give an example of how reverse speech has pinpointed the source of a problem. And uh, here's a young man who came to me for session work to uh, find out why he gets angry all the time. And in this small section, he's talking about his father, so he's got a temper issue. So here's the forwards build that up, but it's double tough because I'm traveling abroad. I've chosen to live outside America. Anyway, um, I'm still relying on him to help me. Right on him to help me, his father. And backwards he says, a crime with our father. A crime with our father. A crime with our father. You hear that one? A crime with our father. What does that mean, do you suppose? Well, that's pinpointing the source of his anger. See, it's a crime of that father. My anger came from my father. My father. So it pinpoints. Does does that make sense? Yes, it does Maybe. in that case. Um, yeah. Now, you, you talked about metaphors, and sometimes the the reversal will be somewhat cryptic. Uh, cool. it, it, utilizing, let's say, a symbol, maybe, you know, a body of water or some so, sort of an animal. How do you decipher it, the, the meaning of that? Oh, boy. Well, I can tell you back in my early days, that when I first started, they were a huge, big mystery to me. And, uh, you know, I'd find phrases like, uh, my goddess is stabbed with a knife or the wolf has fallen in the lake. And, uh, I, um, however, as time went on, uh, one of the uh, things about reverse speech is that it's complementary. And by complementary, I mean the forwards relate to the reverse. We saw that with I'm Very Aware and Angelina Jolie, and they will not deal with us on Donald Trump. And so using the principle of complementarity, I have seen over, over the years, I have seen the metaphors appear in the same context over and over again. And so I have been slowly compiling a reverse speech metaphor dictionary, uh, which is now 30 years in the development, um, where I ascribe meanings to these metaphors based on the context under which I find them in the, uh, in the forward and the reverse. And uh, sometimes I'll update the definitions. Uh, it's not an exact science, of course. I wish it was. Um, but over the years, I have become fairly confident with the meanings of the metaphors. But but uh, but I but I but I train my students um, 
you know, often it's a two-way discussion with the client to determine the uh, meanings. Um, so it's a bit of it's a bit of historical a bit of historical context uh, plus a joint discussion with the client. Is it based on Jung, Jungian psychology? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's based on. It is similar to Jungian psychology. Uh, certainly, certainly, when I read Jung's works, uh, a lot of his metaphors are identical to the meta- metaphors in reverse speech. For example, the metaphor whirlwind is a very common metaphor in reverse speech that we talk about quite a lot, and it's a metaphor that Carl Jung discussed quite extensively in his work and so yes there is a great similarity between Jungian metaphor or archetypes as he calls them, Jungian archetypes in reverse speech metaphor but I haven't used Jung to interpret the metaphors I've used reverse speech so when I say it's based on Jung I actually uh, say it's identical to you, it's very similar to Jung but I've arrived at the meanings independently from how Jung arrived at his. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. Uh, now, the idea that it's the unconscious mind that's speaking, yeah. is that the same thing as the, a higher self? Uh, absolutely, yes. Um, well, see, reverse speech is coming from multiple levels. Um, I, I say the unconscious because that's the easiest way to describe it, um, but it's coming from uh, the unconscious. It's coming from the deep unconscious or the collective unconscious. And you can also hear the spirit itself speaking, which one we could call the higher self. Uh, so it's tapping into multiple levels of consciousness. And uh, at various times, uh, some parts will speak and other parts will speak other, other times. Now, one of the things that uh, blows me away is the idea uh, that you've put forward that we actually learn to speak in reverse before we speak forward. And I know you have some uh, some reversals from children, but just talk to me about that idea that we learn sure. to speak in reverse before forward. Yeah, well, I formulated that theory back in 88. Um, I was very uh, fortunate in 87 when I first wrote the theory of reverse speech to become the father of twin girls. And uh, from the moment they came home from hospital, I began to... Um, recording them and to running the uh, tapes in reverse and from as early as four months of age I began to find isolated single words on their reversals for example here's an, one at four months of age this is just normal baby talk forwards <laughs> If we run it backwards, you'll hear the cry, followed by this very clear hello. <coughs> and you can hear that quite clearly. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. It's remarkable so, uh, that that gibberish forward can produce a recognisable word in reverse. Right, right. Yeah, uh, uh, simply marvellous. And... Uh, um, if we found an isolated word here and there, you could say, well, this is coincidence. But as the children grew older, the single word started to become three or four words. So, like, here's one at 12 months of age, and uh, this is my daughter in a bathtub trying to pick up a cup. She can't pick it up, and she reaches out to me for help. So here's the forwards. 
This is actually one of my favourite examples, and she says in the verse, David, which is my name, David, help me. I'm sure you'd agree that's fairly clear. Yes. So how could you say that's a coincidence? Three sentences, it's using my name, David, and she's reaching out for help. Help me. So, so after finding numerous examples like this, I developed uh, another point from my theory, and the uh, theory states that the process of spoken communication begins in reverse before it does forwards. The unconscious mind is developing for the conscious mind, and so that speaks backwards before forward speech begins. So uh, it's a fairly radical theory to say that the children are speaking back before they do forwards, but uh, um, a lot of child cognitive functions develop in reverse before they do forwards and children will often crawl backwards before they crawl forwards for example so uh, so yes yeah, so that's point three of my theory and uh, let's play a really clear one this is probably one of my uh, most uh, favourite children one of all time it's a young child and uh, she's telling us how she's good at school and she's about to tell us something she's not good at, but she has a little slip of the tongue and changes her mind. So listen to this. I'm, I'm quite a good girl, and I'm, I'm quite good at math and English, but I'm not... I'm, Hear that little slip of the tongue, but yes. I'm not... English, but I'm not... I'm, and then she keeps on talking and says this. I'm science, but I don't think... I don't know anything else. And when she has that little slip of the tongue, she says backwards, I'm not telling. I'm not telling. I'm not telling. I'm not telling. Very clear. Oh, my gosh. That's stunning. Absolutely stunning. It is. Yeah. So so she's not telling us what she's not good at. That's what this tongue (laughs) is all about. So we're tapping into her unconscious thoughts. Yeah. Crazy question. Do you think yes, this sir. could work on animals? Oh, dear. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, I have my animal files uh, stuck away with the great secrecy because it, uh, um, it can tend to uh, tend to uh, 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 throw, uh, throw water on the theory. And talk about water. Here's reverse on a cat. Backwards, I need water. Oh my gosh. Oh my lord. <laughs> I, I know. Look, I keep those secret. I don't bring them out publicly because cause, um, I don't want to deal with animal reversals at this stage. <laughs> but anyway, you've asked me the question, so there's the answer. All right. I've got a small file of animal reversals, about a dozen or so. So. Uh, uh, what they mean, I don't know. Uh, now, the the idea that the CIA, um, they may deny it, but yeah. they are keenly interested in in this, and and I, they they use it, right? 
Absolutely, they use it. You just Google reverse speech CIA, and that would take you to the to what they've publicly declassified with their interest in reverse speech. And you'll see a copy of my book produced in '91. I lectured to the CIA in '91 for five days, uh, telling them all about reverse speech and. Um, uh, what they've done with it, I don't know. They've declassified some of their work on reverse speech. I'd like to see what they haven't declassified. Um, you know, the CIA obviously uh, been well known in the past to deal with uh, psychics and all sorts of uh, uh, new technologies and ideas. So, uh, um, I uh, what they've released leads me to convince they're doing a whole bunch of more work with it. Now, uh, you are coming to North America. You're coming to uh, Canada. Do you have any dates for us yet? Uh, Well, I will be in Toronto on December the 20th. uh, Not December, sorry, October the 20th. I'll be in Toronto, and I'll be there until the 4th of November. So I'm there for two weeks. Uh, I know uh, Christian, who is my man in Toronto. Your co-host on Reverse Speech Radio. Yes, absolutely. He is uh, setting out some lectures and workshops. Um, I think for further information, I would go to reversespeech.ca. That's uh, Christian's uh, Reverse Speech website. We'll have all the details up there. Um, I don't know the details of them, but I know um, Christian is organizing some. So, um, And once those dates... Right. Once the dates and the venue become available, we'll announce it. But again, just keep an eye out at reversespeech.ca. And again, uh, you will be here in Toronto October the 20th until November the 4th. Until November the 4th. All right. Uh, Love to see anyone who's interested in reverse speech. Absolutely. Come and see me out to lunch. Absolutely. Pull up for it. <laughs> and once again, the podcast, reversespeechradio.libson.com, reversespeechradio.libson.com, or again, you can go to reversespeech.ca and just uh, look for that old little radio and click on that. That'll take you right there. Always a pleasure, David, and we'll talk next month. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it, mate. Bye-bye. Okay. Paula Harris is up next to discuss Aliens in the White House, her work with J. Allen Hynek, Colonel Philip Corso, and more. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sound. Paula Harris is a photojournalist and investigative reporter in the field of UFOs and extraterrestrial-related phenomena research. She studied ET-related phenomena since 1979 and is on personal terms with many of the leading researchers in the field. From 1980 to 1986, she assisted the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek with his UFO investigations and has interviewed many top military witnesses concerning their involvement in the government truth embargo. In 1997, Ms. Harris met with and interviewed Colonel Philip Corso in Roswell, New Mexico and became a personal friend and confidant. She's instrumental in having his book, The Day After Roswell, for which she wrote the preface, translated into Italian. She's the author of several books, including Conversations with Colonel Corso and UFOs, All the Above and Beyond. Paula Harris, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? 
I'm doing fine, Richard. How are you? I'm terrific. First off, I want to mention right out of the gate that you're going to be appearing at the Alien Cosmic Expo that's happening uh, very soon, September the 21st and the 22nd, the Alien Cosmic Expo, and uh, that's at the Airport Marriott Hotel in uh, Toronto. And you are going to be speaking on the Saturday from 2.45 p.m. to 4 o'clock, where we will learn the truth about hybrids at the White House, Project Blue Book, and, of course, working with J. Allen Hynek and Colonel Philip Corso, all of which we'll talk tonight uh, about. And uh, quite a lineup, uh, really, again, a who's who. Travis Walton will be there. Paul Hellyer will be there. Uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer. Uh, yourself, as I mentioned, Leslie Mitchell-Clark and Wes Roberts, who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, Grant Cameron, Randy Kramer. Of course, we have to talk a little bit about the secret space program uh, as well. Okay, now that we've uh, squared that away, let's talk about hybrids, alien hybrids at the White House. Now, we're not talking about Valiant Thor, that, that story from the 1950s and 60s here, are we? Well, I, I first of all, before we even begin talking about something that weird as alien hybrids, and I'll, I'll mention where that comes from, I want to tell you that I have never spoken in Canada, that my mother was born in Stratford, Ontario. Ah. So, I you know I have a Canadian connection, so for all the people that are listening, uh, when I first came to this country, I was born in Rome. I came uh, at the age of five with my mother and father on a boat. We went to Stratford. My first school was in Stratford. And most of my relatives are in Toronto, so I am super, super excited to be there, uh, especially with this illustrial, uh, illustrious group of people. And uh, it's the first time. So I just want to tell you, it's the first time. It's so a I'm wonderful excited. homecoming. Excellent. Oh, yes, because, uh, you know, I'm close to uh, the Honorable Paul Hallier. I did uh, six different interviews with him flying across the ocean when I was living in Rome. And I lived in Rome from um, 1992 to 2007 when I returned to Colorado in the United States. So most of my work has been outside the country. And so, you know, it's been, you know, really a field research. And when you mentioned the hybrid thing, it's part of research that I had to go back to do in the 1950s and 60s in, off of uh, Joshua Tree, California. What I saw happening was that we had, as a group of researchers, and as the managers of ufology, we had um, kind of been stuck in the abduction scenario, the little gray aliens being the symbol for the whole entire field. So since I had the influence of Italy, uh, of the contacts in the 50s and 60s, our contactee, who was Ara Damsky, was named Eugenio Siracusa, and he met with who said they were Venusians. In those days, they kept saying they were from Venus, whether it was um, Howard Menger in New Jersey, or whether it was George Van Tassel in California, or whether it was Adamski who met with Orthon. They all said they came from Venus. So this is part of the UFO history. 
And uh, I had to look at the story of Val Thor, just going to what you mentioned in the beginning, to go on that track, as a possibility of it being real. And I had to look at the work of Dr. Frank Strangers, because mm -hmm. I went back to to look at, Richard, I mean, did we really always have grace, or it, were there a bunch of spacemen that hung out with us in the 50s and 60s? Right, right, because so, the, like, the, 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 gray a, the gray alien thing really gained traction with Betty and Barney Hill, I think. Exactly. Uh, and uh, so for those not familiar with the Val Thor story and Frank, Sturge, uh, Frank Strangis, uh, just just give us a thumbnail sketch of that, a quick overview. What happened was I started studying Howard Menger, and I have some 80 uh, photos of Howard Menger giving a lecture in his backyard in Highbridge, New Jersey, and there is Val Thor sitting there with Jill and uh, his so-called so, so, you know, so brother, Don, and I have all these pictures of them sitting there. And then when Wendell Stevens uh, passed on, he had an archive where he was talking to the photographer of that afternoon, and the photographer was named August Roberts. He was very, very famous. Augie Roberts took a lot of pictures. And then I get this audio tape where Augie Roberts is saying to Wendell Stevens, well, Howard Menger said there were going to be three extraterrestrials sitting in the audience there under the uh, trees in the orchard, and he says he didn't tell me who they were. He said, so I had to take pictures of everybody, and there are the three of these people, overdressed, overdressed, because um, uh, Val Thor has a suit and tie on, Jill looks like she's completely off a runway, she looks like a supermodel, and everybody else is in there, you know, um, uh, casual clothes, they're in an apple orchard, but these three aren't. And so when I'm listening to the tape, and the photographer is saying that he was instructed to take the pictures of these three. And then I began to look at the story of of uh, what a stranger said happened with Val Thor, that he actually went to the White House to talk to Eisenhower about two things. The idea that uh, people could live longer if they weren't taking pharmaceuticals. And the idea that maybe we should look at our nuclear capacity. In other words, look at... Uh, uh, our peace, you know, looking at uh, our weapons of war and so forth. So what did I do? You know, like a good field researcher, I went to California, uh, to California. I went to Lake Mead, because in Strangeness's book, there's an X over where Victor One, his ship was parked, and boy, is Lake Mead look weird. Uh, where this ship was parked, it looked so unusual, it looked like another planet. Uh, I didn't see any ship, but I had to go there, and I also, you know, began researching all the contactees of that period, and they all had the same story. There were spacemen visiting with a similar message. So do I believe the Val Thor story? Well, when the photographers tell Wendell that he was told to take pictures of these guys, what do you say? I mean, this is a photographer. Right, and when you look at these photos and you see... Uh, Val Thor and um, the other two that were supposedly yeah. from Venus uh, that went to the White House. This happened in the late 50s, but we didn't really hear about it until the 1960s. Why? What happened there? Why the, the gap? Well, I, we didn't even hear about it until recently. I mean, nobody's been talking about this. Uh, 
We didn't hear about it. Well, French Stranges uh, talked about it a lot before he died. And, and I just didn't get to him. I feel so bad because if I talked to him, I could have gotten a lot more information. But um, he talked about it. It's called the Space Brother Movement for people that, that, that want to study that part of ufology. Um, it became popular later on. I mean, actually, what I began to realize was that maybe the intelligence community was looking at this because The Day the Air Stood Still is a very interesting movie, Richard. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. And I went to um, interview Robert Short, who was involved in the early Space Brother movement and also saw one of these spacemen. And he told me that Robert Wise, when he was doing that movie, um, was talking to Michael Rennie, you know, he's the 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 alien that walked off the ship with the uh, robot and so forth right. and that that last that last big speech in that movie was all done by channeling it was not on a script michael Rennie said i know what to say and he just started talking Fascinating. and that's on my youtube channel that's on my for anybody that wants to hear robert short talk about this thing uh, this speech, which is so famous, it just says you people are not ready to come out into outer space. Right. And again, a bit of the backstory. So Frank Strangis is, he's a pastor, basically, right? And he's, he, he believes, he's interested in UFOs, and he believes that, uh, the, you know, these space brothers are coming here to, to spread the word of, of, of God. Uh, and then that he gets approached after one of his sermons, and, and, yeah. and is invited back to, a meeting, I guess, at the Pentagon where Val Thor has been living in an, uh, in, a, in an apartment for, for how long was it at that point? I think it was three months, but he couldn't have been there the whole time because he was in Frank, he was in Howard Mencher's backyard. And I've got the dates on that. I'd have to go look at it. So it wasn't like he was prisoner because he, I mean, he's sitting there in the backyard there at Highbridge, New Jersey, so he must have been able to walk around. All right, let's, um, let me take a quick time out, Paula. We'll come right back. Paula Harris, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. From Yeti to Nessie, pyramids to pandemics, all is revealed on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Apollo, we were talking about uh, Frank Strangis and his account of Val Thor, this uh, Venusian uh, that was living in the Pentagon for a period, I guess, of about three months. And uh, but you were saying that he was he was getting out and about. He wasn't obviously held prisoner. He I guess he could come and go as he pleased, really. Well, if he's in the, the backyard of Howard Menger uh, with, with his other two, Brett with Jill and Don there, uh, the, yeah, I mean he's sitting there. So, uh, and what's interesting, and you know the background because you, you just mentioned it, was that when Frank Strangis went in uh, to see him, it was like. You know the movie Star Wars where Obi-Wan Kenobi gets in just by, you know, uh, having everybody just be distracted and glazing over and so forth. And he describes he didn't have a pass. He got through. Uh, he was taken there by a woman who uh, had heard him speak, and he got to meet Val Thor there. And uh, I, I don't think he can make that up, Richard. I, I don't think he made that up. That was a time in history uh, which... I think was very close to disclosure as far as because I think that uh, when when the day the earth stood still come out 
came out, that film, it touched a lot of people. And I think the intelligence community knew about that film. So I think that was a part of our UFO history. Right. Have you talked to Grant Cameron about whether, I mean, there's anything, because he scoured all of the presidential libraries, of course, and whether there's anything from the Eisenhower Library that might kind of hint at the existence of Val Thor, meetings with Val Thor? No, I haven't, but that would be really, really interesting. I'm not sure if that would be recorded, uh, only because I, I think that it's possible that, that there have been beings that have walked among us that aren't from here, and I think it's possible that the intelligence community knows that there are beings. Uh, as an example of this, I was talking to Glenn Steckling about the uh, Damsky thing, and he knew Damsky, and Damsky left all of his uh, archives to the Steckling family. And at one point, Glenn Steckling says to me, well, he says the, the, ones, the, the people from uh, Venus you know, used to get in the car with uh, Damsky, especially his lectures in Germany, and he shows me a Polaroid. And he says, here's a lecture of Adamski in Germany. He said, pick out the E.T. And there was this really good-looking blonde guy who seemed like he was very young, because I guess they never age. And I said, that's the E.T., isn't it, the one that's overdressed with the tie? And he said, yep, that's, that's not a human. And I thought, that was a Polaroid he showed me of Adamski's. You know, so in those days, I don't think they're there anymore. Or they, they do this anymore. But in those days... I think there was an attempt. I think they came from Venus. I think they used Venus. I mean, they don't call Venus Venus. We call Venus Venus. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, I think there was an attempt by people, interplanetary people, to make contact. Right. Well, that's interesting. Because to me, yeah, that's where that story would lose some credibility, the idea that they would come from, from Venus. Because, I mean, that's just, it's not not hospitable, right? As far as we know, it isn't, but I don't think they call their planets the same as no. we call ours. And no. In order to, to be among us, they kind of take the form of what we believe. Right, exactly. Um, so, what happened, do you think? There seems to be this demarcation. We had, you know, the, the, the ones identifying themselves, or we identify them as these Venusians, up, you know, in the late 50s, into the 60s, and then all of a sudden... With Betty and Barney Hill and the abduction, it's all about the greys. What happened, do you think? Well, I think whoever's managing this, and it's not the government. The government's changed so many times. Colonel Corsi used to say, stop blaming the government. Which government are you talking about? I mean, the senators and the congressmen, they don't know anything. So I think whoever micromanages the UFO phenomena, and it's probably the intelligence community with a lot of other players, um, thought it was very convenient to keep the people under fear and to stage some, uh, you know, abductions and to, um, you know, to keep them in that, in that frame of mind. Now, since I knew John Mack very well, what he had told me was that there were some real, you know, um, it, harvesting, I think, of DNA and so forth, but he, he said that, he told me that ended in 1994, and people uh, were being contacted by having direct downloads. Now, that's why I like the word contact a lot more than the word abduction, because 
uh, whatever happened in those days, they put you back in the car, they put you, in Travis's case, they put him on the road, uh, they put you back in the bed, uh, they put you back. And, uh, an abduction means real abduction. You don't get pulled back. You get killed and you get taken away. Um, but so the contact, John Max said, was being done. Uh, by direct download, which means people were getting messages directly. i got to jump in here, uh, Paula. We'll take another quick time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to talk about uh, contact. Uh, we'll get into uh, J. Allen Hynek, uh, Project Blue Book, Philip Corso, much more. Paula Harris here into the next hour as well. Stay put right here on The Conspiracy Show. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Apollo, before the break, we were talking about uh, John Mack uh, and uh, talking about uh, abductions ending in 1994, and now we're into this era of contact. Uh, why, do, why did the abductions end in 94? Was there some sort of an agreement? No, I don't ever believe that ETs need to agree on anything. They do what they want. Uh, they could, they command, they actually call the shots. Uh, they don't need to, to, you know, get any kind of agreement. I think what happened was that there may have been a group. Now remember, we're talking about, about 50 different cultures. Colonel Corso told me that, plus, um, uh, Clifford Stone said, now and this is amazing, Richard. He said he had a manual when he'd do crash recovery, crash retrieval that had 50, uh, seven different species because they had to look at who was, they were doing first aid on and if they'd use a certain product, product, it would kill them. So, I mean, does, does the powers that be, whoever's involved with this, uh, know that there are different species? We're not limited to grays, reptilians, and Nordics. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I think that, that what, what was going on, maybe a group of them were doing, you know, DNA harvesting, but certainly not all the grays. The, the one that, uh, the ones that, um, uh, drive the, what Colonel Corso said were the little clones that drive the ship or, or that manipulate the ship with their hands and their, they have like a brain function with the ship. They're not gathering DNA. Uh, they're they're like little clones. They're like little worker bees. So, even in that uh, group of, of beings, there's a differentiation. But because we don't study, because we don't read, people are lumping all this together. And uh, we need to understand that people that uh, whoever's visiting, and I, I love uh, Clifford Stone's word. He calls them the visitors. Have different agendas. I mean, the one that, that uh, crashed in Virginia, the little red being, and you know the Virginia-Brazil case is not a gray, it's not a Nordic, and it's not a reptilian. And there's different groups of ETs visiting the planet, um, and some of them are interdimensional, as Jacques Vallée believes, and some of them are physical, and some of them are light beings, and it's like all of the above. Mm, right, right. Um when it comes to uh, abduction, there is a school of thought. I'd like to get your take on this. And I was speaking with Kathleen Martin very recently, and in, and even um, uh, Leslie Mitchell Clark and and uh, Wes Roberts talk about this. How 
you know, the, the idea of abduction, you know, taking someone, let's say even a child against their will seems like, wow, are we talking about, you know, they're technologically advanced, but it doesn't sound like they're spiritually advanced if they would do something like that. And then they say, wait a minute now, because they believe that, that in a previous life, an individual has given consent, uh, that they will be taken. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's logical. I think that's probably true. We don't know, none of us know why we're even interested in this. I mean, if I were to interview you, I'd say, <laughs> what interests you in, in this subject matter? It is not normal. I mean, this is this is what was considered fringe. Maybe it's getting to be a little bit more normal with the To, to the Stars Academy folks, but um, it, it it is not a regular type of topic. So if you're interested, if I'm interested, and, and it's captivated a lot of um, us researchers, then what is our relationship to the phenomenon before we were born? Right, right. Well, that's certainly, uh, you know, for those that subscribe to reincarnation, it, it does resolve, uh, you know, a, a problem, and uh, which I sort of addressed earlier, and that is, how could these be possibly spiritually evolved uh, entities, if, for example, they would take children against their will, but that would resolve that question, wouldn't it? Yeah. Also, children. Um, I think children have an amazing capacity to see dimensions. Like a lot of kids can see their uh, grandmother that passed on, or their uh, other beings from other worlds. Children are, have a heightened sense of uh, ESP. Um, and all of this, so they would be of great interest to other cultures, to other dimensions. Then when they get older and society conditions them, they become adults. But yeah, I can see that scenario. Just getting back to the, the alien uh, hybrid issue for a moment. And we go back to, let's say, for example, the Roper uh, poll that came out. When was that? 1991? My gosh, it's going on 30 years. And I think at that time... Um, they estimated, according to the survey, something like 4 million Americans may have been abducted. Uh, so 30 years on, what do you think the number is now? Well, I don't think that 30 million, never, never 30 million Americans. Why Americans then? I mean, what kind of poll is it? Just Americans? If, if, if there's, if there's, what are they just abducting Americans? Well, no, but the poll was, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, the poll was taken in the United States, right? It was done in the United States, but a, a, a wiser poll mm. would be to look at this internationally. Sure, sure. Because it, it, what when you have contact, and I like the word contact better, you interpret it according to how you were brought up. So you interpret it according to the filter with which you can interpret it. If you didn't have that, you'd go crazy. Uh, So you have to make sense out of it. Maybe what you had was contact. Maybe what you had was astral travel. Maybe what you had was a dream state. You did have contact. But maybe all of it wasn't physical. Maybe some of it went into another dimension. Uh, I had a long conversation with Colonel Corso about dimensional jumping. P, uh, you know, beings, uh, people that, w- that were able to cross dimensions. And so maybe it w- that's the way they interpret it. I don't believe that number. That's crazy. I, you know, that that would be too much. I mean, if you were even doing 
DNA harvesting, you wouldn't need that many. Right, <laughs> I mean, right. It's, you, you don't need that many. My God, that would mean that one group just went ahead and took a zillion people, and that was it. When I'm looking at the agenda of different groups, Richard, uh, whatever whatever their agenda is, it's not all DNA harvesting. And we, The problem with ufology in the United States, and I've backed off uh, of it lately because of this, is, is there's so much more to the UFO phenomenon than abductions. I'm now working in Latin America. I've been to four countries, and they're meeting physically with people coming off spaceships. Hmm. Right, right. Well, speaking of which, I, uh, I was speaking to Preston Dennett recently, and he has a, a book out about schoolyard UFO encounters. And to me, this is a fascinating area that needs more attention because... These are these are uh, full-on daylight encounters, craft landing on the ground, interacting with small children, and l- like a one a year minimum for the last 150 years. It, that's fascinating. The one in Westall in in um, in uh, Australia mm-hmm. was one of them, uh, and there, the, and the other one, the John Mack. Um, Investigated in Africa, Zimbabwe, yeah, and, Zimbabwe, yeah, yeah, and and those beings had an ecological message. They weren't here to abduct anybody, and they were they had an ecological message, which they implanted in the children, which was really interesting. And uh, the Westall one was was seen by adults and um, children. And by the way, that's in James Fox's new movie that's coming out, The Phenomena. James went to Australia. He went and did the background work on that particular case. So that movie's coming out shortly. So people, if they want to know what happened in Australia with the schoolyard um, contact, then, you know, that that would be interesting. All right, Paula, hang on. We'll, uh, we'll head on into the next hour. We'll uh, talk about your relationship with J. Allen Hynek, of course, of Project Blue Book, Colonel Philip Corso, and the Secret Space Program, if time allows. Paula Harris, my guest, and uh, she joins me for the next full hour right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away.